Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is The Hideaway Podcast, episode 29. 29. So we finally got something in the mail this week. We did. Our Columbia graduate degrees. Diplomas, I guess Diplomas. we call them. Diplomas. Yeah, Lindsay and I technically finished classes like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit more than that. Um, and then we took our sweet, sweet time writing our, <laughs> our thesis, our theses, which are um, 50 plus page papers that you, you need- wrote yours on. I wrote mine on whether or not uh, it would make sense for more Broadway national tours to go out in tents rather than just to tour to regular regular theaters. And when I started writing it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is definitely going to make sense. Like, think about all the shows that would be great in a tent. Like, Pippin, why don't they do that in a tent mm-hmm. and tour it? And then by the time I'd finished writing the paper or interviewing everybody, I was like, oh, it's actually a very expensive, very difficult model to make work, even more so for a uh, theater show than it is for a circus show. But... We those finally got submitted and finally got processed and now sitting behind us are two shiny diplomas. Yeah. What did you write yours about? I wrote mine about. Um, well, it's actually something that we wrote that ties into an article that you just wrote for Ace American Circus Educators publication. But basically, my thesis was about how uh, we can create more more work for new and emerging artists and producers. And my conclusion was basically that the funding that goes to, uh, to supporting new writers should actually be going to producers because there are like 2000 plays written a year and only 200 productions a year. So theoretically, if you can increase the amount of productions done a year, you can increase then the amount of artists that get to have their work shown, be in the show, work on the show, and all of that. So that's that was my thesis, and I stick by it, even though some people were, were, were upset about it. Like, you're taking funding from an already underfunded uh, community of writers. Like, yes, but in theory, then you could... You can give that person scene. a job and get your spork seen, which then should help you propel your career. Just sort of what exactly you said is sort of the one of the focuses of this ACE article that uh, we just wrote. Yes. Which I think people will be able to read in about a month or two from now. Or just email us and I'll send it to you. <laughs> but it's it's like 1,500 words on on a little bit on how we got started producing and what can be done to encourage the next generation of circus producers and directors and entrepreneurs mm-hmm. in in America. And we sort of focus on on two aspects, education and and funding. Yeah, I think education is is only one part and then funding is a very big part that's basically 50-50 cuz if you if you're totally worried about um, making your money back or finding the money to do it, then you don't have the impetus to do it, even no matter how much education you have, which is something that I've been noticing with my producing friends who are younger is they've all been working for someone else and are at the point in their career where they kind of want to do their own thing, but they're worried about uh, taking that leap of like financial instability basically and where they're going to find the money to run it and produce the work that they want to do. Um, well, that's also one of the things we sort of touch on in our article is where people can find money in different mm-hmm. different kinds of ideas. And, you know, fortunately for us, we were able to to do slumber through private investors, which is the way most Broadway and commercial shows work. But we're, we're now going to be experimenting with Kickstarter, mm-hmm. at, at least for our virtual reality project and mm-hmm. potentially for another show we have in the works. That's uh, a really exciting show that once we know more about, I cannot wait to, to talk about. Well, I think we can tease that Keone and Mari will be heavily involved in that show <laughs> yeah. but that show was sort of also looking at different crowd crowdfunding methods of mm-hmm. of raising money and getting your show up so be sure to check out our, our ace article when it comes out subscribe to aces newsletter in their magazine american circus educators you may also know them by the name ico uh, american youth circus organization they're not one and the same but they are closely related and, and do a lot of things together so be sure to check that out in the next month or two so a few nights ago, we saw Lorenzo Pizzoni's movie documentary called Circus Kid. 
that's about the Pickle Family Circus and his parents, Larry Pizzoni and Peggy Snyder. Peggy Snyder. And if you have listened to the Gypsy Snyder podcast, we did talk about the Pickle Family Circus a bit and her experience growing up in that. Lorenzo and Gypsy are brother and sister. Yes. So, but I had not heard Lorenzo's story or point of view from his childhood um, until the movie, which uh, was really good. It was really good. But it really, really messed with me. It messed with you? Yeah. Well, I had seen his one-man show called Humor Abuse, which is uh, similar kind of themes. He talks about what it's like to grow up in the circus uh, and grow up in, in the family that he did. Do you want to just explain maybe Pickle Family Circus and just like the brief Some overview? more background? Yeah. Yeah. So Pickle Family Circus uh, was, a, was a company started in San Francisco, uh, I believe in the late 70s or early 80s. I think the 70s. 70s. Um, and they, they did uh, one ring predominantly outdoor shows um, to public. And I had never really seen as much footage as I had seen uh, in the movie. But, I mean, hilarious, super high skill. A lot of people were involved in the early parts of their career, including Bill Irwin and Gypsy and Lorenzo and various different guests we've had on on the podcast sort of uh, involved. And if you listen to the Paul Binder uh, episode, you'll sort of hear how his experience bumps into them with the Mm -hmm. San Francisco Mime Troupe. But it's it was a really a pillar of the circus community for for a while, and I don't know. I was just left with this much deeper, richer understanding of of that part of the circus culture mm-hmm. at that time and in that part of the world, and it's yeah. clearly influenced everything from Big Apple Circus to Seven Fingers. I think like the film is a lot about Lorenzo's relationship to his dad, Larry, and like Larry named Lorenzo after his clown character, which I thought was uh, a really poignant way to start the the movie. And I think like there's a clip of Lorenzo when he's like, what, six? Yeah, something like that. On a talk show with his dad. Talk show host is like, you know, uh, asking him about growing up in the circus. And then he's like, but you can leave any time, right? And Lorenzo goes... Yes, but his little face, like, it's clearly like he's like, I can't ever leave. And it's that's how the movie starts. But it's a lot about his relationship to his dad. But, like, what I took from the movie was that Larry, you know, came to New York when he was 19, started working at a nightclub. That had circus in it. That had circus in it. And then wanted to start a circus company, went to San Francisco, met with this, like, theater group called the Meme Troupe. Even though, isn't it spelled mime? I think, yeah. I don't know why they're pronouncing it. They were meme. meme but-, but the meme troupe, which Peggy was in and Bill and, um, or no, Bill wasn't in. He auditioned, but um, Paul was in. Yeah, various Paul people were in. But then, you know, uh, Larry took this group of theater kids and taught them circus. And then at 24 started the show. And then Peggy had no interest in the circus, but then fell in love with Larry and ran away to the circus. And they started the circus company, which sounds very familiar to, to Josh and I. And our story is very similar too. Josh worked in a nightclub with circus at like 19. And then at 24 started a company um, with me who ran away to the circus. Cause I thought, you know, you were cute and I liked circus. So, but yeah, the, Movie was really great. Lorenzo did a Q and A after, and I really enjoyed listening to him and watching the film. So if you can see it, you should. Yeah, definitely check it out. I'm sure it'll get picked up by Netflix or HBO or somebody soon. Yeah. Um, but uh, visit the website Circus Kid. Google it. Uh, it's probably playing at a theater near you. Our guest today is Ryan Shinji Murray, and I. I really like him. He's such a nice person and so talented at a lot of different things. And I didn't really know his full trajectory of his career. Uh, I knew like bits and pieces, but listening to his whole story was really awesome. And he's just like such a hard worker and game to try things, which I think are two qualities that really are like needed and and we admire in people yeah but do you want to tell about a little bit about ryan sure so ryan's originally from from washington dc and he grew up like many circus performers first uh, encountering gymnastics and then doing diving he'd seen Cirque du Soleil as a kid and he experimented with going to to regular university but he sort of talks about the challenges of both training and trying to do the acrobatic element of his life and balancing that with an academic career 
And after moving to New York City, he actually had his first performing uh, moment at the uh, one of the original House of Yes spaces. And that, you know, over time escalated to working at the box. And then he eventually started working for Cirque Was and is now on tour with Cirque du Soleil's Curious. And aside from Ryan's multi, multi, multi-faceted skill set, including uh, trick roping, acrobatics, chair stacking, hand balance, and uh, rope, the number he's doing in Curious is what they call acrobatic net, which we've talked about a few times on this podcast because Lindsay and I are so in love with it as a as a discipline. But it's this massive trampoline. He sort of talks about what it was like to create an act from scratch with Cirque du Soleil um, and sort of what that Cirque du Soleil creation process is like. So for anybody who's sort of out there wondering, how do I make it as a circus performer without going through the traditional route of circus school? Uh, this is a really great uh, story on how on how Ryan did it. So enjoy our podcast with Ryan. So Shinji is your middle name? Shinji is my middle name. Nice. Because oh. my mom's family's Japanese. Yeah. Dad's family's Scottish. All-American boy. Nice. <laughs> Where did you grow up? In Washington, D.C. Or well, born in Washington, D.C. Grew up in Maryland. Uh, did your parents work in politics? Is that why you were living in D.C.? No. Um, but uh, my... So my dad's family was a Navy family, and they kind of jumped up and down the East Coast... Mom's family grew up in San Francisco. After internment, they moved to D.C., and that's where they ended up. So did you go to, like, regular public school in D.C., or were you already starting to do, like, sports and focusing (laughs) on that? (laughs) I went to Catholic school for 12 years. Oh, my goodness. Was that full-colored or Uh, The elementary school was, and then my high school was all boys. You went to an all-boys Catholic high school? Wow, and now you're in the circus. Did you enjoy being with all-boys? Uh, my whole academic career has been <clears throat> complacency. Has been the thing. It's like, oh, this is good enough. Yeah. Oh, this is the situation. It's fine. So it's never been like I've, I've sought out some kind of situation in education. It's always been like, well, this is a good school, I guess. I guess I'll go there. So that's, that's the way it went. Are you still particularly just now? No, zero. Zero, absolutely <laughs> not. Because <laughs> this is something, like, my, my dad tried to apologize one time, like, I'm sorry for sending you to Catholic school. I'm like, man, like, you can't <laughs> apologize because that's kind of informed who I am now. Totally. And I think a big thing in school is learning who you don't want to be. Yes. So, I mean, that's the big takeaway from that. What kind of extracurricular activities were you doing that sort of led to your career now during that time? So I grew up with a trampoline in the backyard. Just like my, a normal trampoline? Yeah. That you can buy, that every normal kid has? Mm-hmm. Normal like, with quotation marks. From the 90s with like <laughs> a steel frame and like no yeah. pads. Um, <laughs> and so my dad was a gymnast and he wanted his kids to do gymnastics. So I think all of us tried, but I was the only one that it stuck to. So I started maybe five or six and did, did gymnastics until I was maybe 12. So like worked through the, uh, the, the beginner things into the team pretty quickly and stayed there. Yeah, I guess when I was 12, there was like some overturn with the coaching staff and like I wasn't ready to switch gyms again because it's Mm -hmm. like a big emotional thing for a kid (laughs) and I didn't want to do it again. So I just decided to stop and to like try to be a real boy and not have to be at practice every day for five hours a day. And Did you like the competition aspect of it or did you hate it? I hated it. Yeah, competition's always been something I hated. Um, So... Complacency. I went to diving. I'm like, oh, this is similar, but there's less pressure. There's less like risk of horrible injury. It's funny. You're more smacking. You, Josh, and my sister all started in in gymnastics and then went to diving. It's a common thing. Yeah, Yeah. it's less impact and. I mean, well, you, you get some right. pretty gnarly bruises. <laughs> my sister, they were like, are, are you getting beaten at home? Because she would get these poor, and my mom yeah. was mortified, but she would get these crazy bruises. She also bruises very easily, and she wasn't very good. She, <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast. So. <laughs> she was pretty bad. Anywho, so you started diving. Yeah, so diving, like, I guess 13 through 21, I, I continued diving kind of like on and off through high school and at NYU for a year and a half. What kind of heights were you uh, jumping and diving from? One and three meter. One and three meter. Yeah, I didn't really do platform because it's hard to have access to. Mm. Um, so you never had a fear for heights, clearly. Oh, I don't like heights. You don't like heights? You don't? Oh, no, no, no. Ooh. Are you serious? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, so how are you comfortable going on, like, a three-meter board and looking down and being like, that water is far away? Because you just do it a lot, and then you get okay with it. Yeah. Um, but it's still scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
yeah, I, I think it's important to have like, or uh, like acknowledge normal fears because yeah. that's what keeps you safe. You yeah. know, you're, you're not going to approach this thing like, oh, I'm invincible. You know, you're going to think twice about what you're doing, how you're doing it. And um, I think that attitude has kept me safe for a lot of my career. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like I'm honestly God scared of heights. <laughs> Did you see any circus shows when you were growing up? Ooh, uh, yes. Um, I remember seeing Kidam when I was 12 in DC. Um, and my mom fell in love with Cirque and mm-hmm. started taking us to the shows every year. So I saw Kidam, Tralian, uh, Varakai, Corteo, Kuza. Yeah, all, all, my all the touring intended ones. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then uh, I saw Obo here because my cousin was working on it. Is he performing in it? Uh, she was a props she... technician. Oh, wow. Okay. So she, she joined the company before I did. She started as a, a dresser on Dralion and then moved up to Varakai, I think also as a dresser and then transitioned into props because she did technical theater at UMBC. Ooh. Oh, wow. So what made you go to NYU? Complacency. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> <laughs> I applied to this really cool school and I was like, oh, it's in a really cool city. And uh, I, I think I visited the city and it was like, I think this is where I want to be. I think there's a kind of energy and atmosphere that I want to be in. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's like a really high rated school. <laughs> Why not? Um, and it just didn't click. I didn't get what along. What did you go in to study? Not much. Not much. <laughs> yeah, general <laughs> studies. So that's like you do two years of general studies, and then hopefully by then they're like, oh, maybe you have a direction now. But I wasn't finding it. So after a year, I was horribly depressed. So I like didn't even make it through the uh, the first semester of my second year, and just kind of like spiraled out of control, and just went back home to recoup. Uh, what do you think caused it? Just being in New York and not having a purpose in a way, or just being so uninterested with school mm. and still having all those school pressures and not giving a single shit about them. (laughs) And yeah, and that kind of like cognitive dissonance will do bad things to your brain. Yeah. Is that when I met you at the box? Is that that point in your life? No, not yet. So this is like 2007. Okay. So I go back to Maryland, kind of gather myself together. I coached gymnastics for a little bit. And then just like thought maybe maybe I'll go back into school something casual so I went to University of Maryland for kinesiology that's, that's how you say it Josh I'm like, he went to study kinesiology <laughs> <laughs> like it's to do with the body right sportsmen yeah movement and how do you say it kinesiology kinesiology the study of movement oh new word yay has it been helpful for you now, having studied that? No, because I didn't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was there, it's in the, the School of Public Health in the University of Maryland, and they have this, so I'm going to do them an injustice here, like 60 or 70-year-old uh, exhibition gymnastics team called Gymkhana there. Okay. So every day I go into the building, I was... It's not full of 60 and 70-year-olds. No, just the, but like... The program is 60 have, or 70 They have photos from the, the 50s of them doing handstands on chairs. Oh, cool. So what the deal is, they, they would take the gym, break it down, and put it in a like school auditorium, and then perform a big gymnastics show for all the kids and promote healthy living. Cool. And so that's funded by the... Well, a lot of donations, and it's run by the School of Public Health. So... Yeah, I'd walk by this gym every day and be like, well, I should check out what's going on in there. And it's like really casual. They take any skill level and we'll just teach you basic acrobatics. And then if you get good at that, then you can move up and learn. Um, chairs is, has been a, a stronghold for them for 50 years. And the coach was like, oh, you have a press handstand. You should try this. And so that's where I learned chairs. And you describe what, yeah. that, what that number is somebody who hasn't seen it or isn't even in circus at all. Okay, so... Chairs, it can include a number of things, but the, the basic premise is that you take chairs and you stack them up and do tricks on them. Um, like pretty high. Yeah, depending on your heights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a great hand balancer and I'm not terribly interested in hand balancing or practicing it because I find it terribly boring. <laughs> but that it was like the, the prop that I ended up with. Um, That's such a pain in the ass prop too because you got to bring know. all those chairs with you yeah. everywhere you go. The first time I auditioned for the box, I brought them on the subway, four of them. You brought four chairs on the yeah. subway. It worked, but I was like, never again. So 
So they, uh, after I did that audition, they, they asked me to come back that night. I was like, well, you're going to pay for a cab, right? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Yay! So, um, what, so what happened then between, so, between Jimmy Connor? How long did you stay with that, that program? So Maryland, I stayed for one year. And I finished one semester, like, dean's list and everything. But I still just didn't care about anything I was learning. Because um, I had to do, like biology 101 it's like i don't have time for this all right were your parents okay um, with you down. with you yeah i need to be flipping were your parents okay with you kind of not wanting to do the academic route as far as i think at first yeah. um i remember like because because like dropping out of nyu and like the kind of state of depression i was in was probably pretty alarming for them um so i think they were happy that i went back into school but I think they could also sense that I wasn't really cool with it there either. But mm-hmm. I was the kind of like going to school, knowing that at the end of the day I could go to practice, and that would be the fun thing I was looking forward to. And like, because that's that's always been like my passion is just moving and doing fun tricks. And <laughs> um, so when did I decide to stop? What brought you back to New York City? Okay, this <laughs> here, here, here's where the here's where the like circus roller coaster takes off. Um, so I'm so I'm doing this thing and I'm like having a lot of fun, not having a lot of fun in school, and I go through this breakup. So I was like the 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 first breakup where I'm like, oh, this girl is everything, and then she jumps me and I'm like the carpet's pulled out from under my feet. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, pause. What am I doing? what am I doing that makes me happy in life? And I kind of like stopped and thought about it. And like, I'm doing this thing at school that's not involved with school and it makes me really happy. And like doing a cartwheel for a kid and having them freak out is like, it's such a magical thing that I need to do more of. So, uh, like after like recovering from this breakup, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do circus. How old are you at this point? 21. Oh, to- wow. So that's like the real breakup. That's the first real yeah, feeling yeah. of heartbreak. Right. <laughs> like, oh, this, I'm an adult, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I withdraw from all my classes. I, I finished the year, though, with the, the gymnastics team. <laughs> um, and I started assembling uh, a demo reel. And I think the day that I withdrew, I had done all the editing and I made this like hilariously long 12 minute video of all <laughs> the stupid tricks I'm doing, like all the gymnastics apparatuses, the trampolines, the chairs, teeterboard, because they also had teeterboard, <laughs> um, martial arts tricking, added some kung fu because I was studying that for a couple of years in high school. And just like sent it off, it was like five in the morning. Like re- recorded the, the the personal video bit, sent it off. Went to sleep at like five in the morning, and I get a call at eleven a.m. asking to organize a uh, live audition, which I did months later in Orlando. But that was like kind of the instant. Who'd you send it to? To Cirque du Soleil. Okay, that's just what the, I figured. Did you put it right on their website? Yep, yeah. went through the website. And, and you went to sleep and then Cirque called you the next yeah. morning. Wow. It was absurd. I, I couldn't have imagined that. But it was kind of like the validation that I needed to be like, okay, this is the right track. And so I went to Orlando. No, I moved to New York. Not yet. Between then and there. Yeah, I went to audition in Orlando. What was the Cirque audition process like? Pretty crazy. Because I, I didn't have an act. And so I auditioned as like an athlete. So... Went to a gym in Orlando and did the apparatuses I was comfortable with. Um, I was able to show off a lot of tricking, which probably they hadn't seen a lot of at that point. And so they do their cuts, and then you do the tricking is sort of like a style of tumbling that's that is like gymnastics tumbling, but also not like gymnastics tumbling, right? Yeah. So it's based in martial arts. So uh, it takes elements of capoeira, karate, taekwondo, and just all the flippy, spinny kicks. And, mm-hmm. um, so it has a really unique style that I think makes me stand out. And I think it still does. So yeah, they, they do their whole acrobatic thing. They make cuts and they do the acting and dancing. And then if you pass through all that, then you get into their database. And then I also, as a bonus, got to try the wall at Lanuva because oh, the next cool. day they were doing act auditions there. So I got to watch a couple act auditions and then 
got to jump on their wall. And it was the first time I ever touched a trampoline. So, so I, think, cool. I think this podcast is going to have a fair bit of explaining in it about what these things are. <laughs> these Let's things also are. explain what trampoline is for a minute. It's, okay. I remember seeing this number in on the videotape of Lanuba, mm-hmm. and it's shattering my brain, being like, oh my god, that's where it's at. Like, yeah. that looks like the most fun ever. Um, so maybe you could explain sort of what, what it is. So trampoline came about, um, rumor has it, in the backstage at Mystere. They had a trampoline against the wall and people just messing around were running up against the wall. And then somebody saw that and thought, wow, that would make a cool act. So then for Lanuba, they created this thing, which is a wall that's about 10 feet above the trampoline, maybe more. And then you have a trampoline next to it. So that allows you to run up and down horizontally against the wall or stand on top of the wall and jump off onto the trampoline and do tricks either down or up. And also there are windows, which gives you possibilities to escape through and come back out onto the trampoline. But so I was, I think I saw that video when I was mm, 16 or 17 and I was just doing smirkers that summer and we were like, we have to figure out a way to learn this. And we had a trampoline act in the show that year and they put the trampoline up next to like an 18 wheeler flatbed yes. and did it on the side of that. <laughs> um, I think that's the first uh, Cirque show I saw. Lanuba in yeah. Disney? Yeah, Disney World. Nice. So you saw that, did they, and they, let, they let you do it. They let you jump on it? Yeah, that, I guess they just, me and one other guy, they were like, oh, let's see what you can do, if you can pick up on this quickly. Uh, and I don't think I impressed anybody, but that put a seed in the back of my head for later, which would come in handy. Um, so, so did you get into their data? You got, clearly got into their database. Yes. Did you get a job offer immediately, or were no. you? No. No, totally green. I had no, no experience outside of doing these school shows. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna go to New York because <laughs> that's where I know a couple people. And I don't know how circus works. I don't know anybody in the industry. So I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna figure it out. Because at this point I was also open to the possibility of maybe going into stunts with my martial arts background. Uh, like if you can fall and you can jump and you can kick things and you can be a stuntman. So I move up here. My parents asked <laughs> about it, they, how they felt about it. I remember they were like, all right, you can go to New York, I guess, if that's what you want to do, but you got to give us back the credit card. <laughs> oh, I'd hand that over. Um, so I move up here, um, and I got a job pretty immediately because one of my tricking friends went to high school with a guy who was the manager at TSNY. Oh, okay. And Trapeze School was looking for a trampoline instructor because they were just understaffed at the time. So I went in into their, do you ever go to that tent on 30th? Yes. Yeah. So I walked in there and just like, <gasps> it's the first time <laughs> I'd ever seen like flying trapeze really. And uh, I met the manager and he's like, can you teach me a backflip? I'm like, sure. I went through the steps. And he's like, okay, when can you start? Can you teach me a backflip? <laughs> sure. <laughs> no, you say that, Ryan, <laughs> but you haven't seen me. <laughs> try anything <laughs> so TSNY was pretty great pretty great to me because I got to have a trampoline to practice on had a job that came not a lot of income but kind of enough to stay afloat um, while I figured this thing out because I didn't know what I was doing yet so get here oh, oh and I put in an order for my own set of chairs with like every dollar that I had in the world. So it was like two grand, I think, from CBE to get six chairs and a carrying case. Wow. And they so- They down or do they always stay? Oh, they, they have to stay rigid. Right. Or else so they're not put, structural. Right. So yeah, put an order for that. And it was just like, oh, I hope I didn't make a terrible mistake. Um, Cause they, they took like five months to make and get Whoa. here. Yeah, CBE, they- they're Make very old order. school, yeah. yeah. And I remember asking him, like, well, what size chairs usually, like, standard for you? He goes, I don't know, what's a trapeze bar, an arm and two fists? Like, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, I don't know, I measured a couple chairs and cho- chose my... <laughs> dimensions. My dimensions, and then, yeah, had them made. But I didn't even start performing that until, like, a year after I'd been in New York. How did you end up at the box? How did I end up at the box? Um, Which is how we met. Right. The the journey to the box starts with House of Yes. Oh. oh. Yeah. Wow, um, weird. So 
the first place I ever did the Chairs Act was at House of Yes. Which so, space were they in at the time? Uh, 2.0. Okay. So I had seen a couple of shows there, and um, the first person I moved into, I sublet from my friend who used to hang out there a lot, and so I asked my friend, like, oh, can I do one of those variety shows you do? Because I have this act that I want to try out. Um, so I did it there, and I got a video of it, and it was great. It went so well. It was, like, the first time I'd ever done a solo act, and I did... Pretty much the same act you know from the box, except five chairs high, because okay, it yeah. didn't have a ceiling. <laughs> um, and Anya one day was like, hey, uh, I organized an audition for you at the box. You should go check it out, but don't take anything personally. <laughs> Which is great the advice, best right? advice I've ever heard for a box audition. <laughs> That's amazing advice. Oh my god. Nice one, Anya. Yeah. Also, this whole story, I, now that we know Kay and Anya so well, I can just imagine this whole thing so so clearly. And that sounds so much like Anya. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I, I arranged this for you to go. Who did you audition for when you went to the box? Do you uh, Simon wasn't there. It was Richard and David. Um, Did they like maybe it? Maybe just Richard and David. Yeah, they love the act. They're like, that's so cool. How can we make fun of you? Yeah. <laughs> they call up Simon. It's like, what does he look like? Well, he's kind of Asian. Are you Asian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it was so funny coming into that, never having been there and not knowing what they were about. And it's like, so we have this really like strange conversation and and they're like, okay, great. Can you come back at 10 for light tech? Like, what, tonight? <laughs> um so, yeah, I came back and watched the show for the first time before going on, like, what have I gotten myself into? Um, but that started a, a pretty long relationship there. Like, between 2010 and 2013, when I started here, every time I was back from Elwaz, I would kind of stop in there and perform because it was... Yeah. Well, I remember the first there. time you told me that you were going to do Elwaz, and I was like, dang, that's awesome. But then you disappeared for six months. And I was like, yeah, like how was it? You're <laughs> yeah. like, it's great. But you, you joined ID, right? Yes. So all this happened at a, kind of at the same time. At the end of Circus of Circus and getting getting into the box, I get a call on like a Thursday because I had auditions like bleh, a few months before at was. I was living with Adam Woolley and Richie oh. McGuire. Huh. And Adam's like, oh, this great company is auditioning in Montreal. We should go. So we all auditioned. Richie got the part. So he did chairs. And um, the coach, Christoph, was like, well, uh... We'll keep in touch. And then when I went to see the show at the first Montreal Complètement Cirque, I watched the show and then Christophe recognized me. He's like, do you want to show me what you've, what you're working on? So I went to Cirque Walls and jumped on their trample wall a bit. And he's like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe if we need you, we call you. Um, cause I'd done one gig doing trample wall where I got a whole week in Kalamazoo, Michigan to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So they called me like on a Thursday like hey can you come up next week <laughs> sure i can move some stuff around so i finished the run of that weekend of circus of circus like got on an overnight bus went out to montreal auditioned for jano the the director and christophe who was the head coach at the time and they're like great when can you start oh my god like what because they 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 knew that i wasn't super experienced in trample wall but that's mm. what they needed for the show so they wanted me to move up to Montreal so to I would train. have a space to train. Um, so I was like, oh, I, 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 give me a month. So I took a month to kind of wrap up things here, finish that show. Did like two or three weeks in my first run at the box straight, which was really <laughs> cool to have like a, that space to workshop my act and like get it more time and be comfortable in front of an audience. Um, and this is such a rotating door of characters that come through and it's such an amazing place just to see acts and understand like the yes. variety of things that people can do on stage and how you build a character. And mm -hmm. it's an amazing place to, to go from being green to getting a little bit of experience. Mm -hmm. So you head up to Montreal. So I head up to Montreal and then I'm practicing trample wall and jumping stilts and trample wall. They had gotten me a coach for the first day. And it was Joel Norton, and he's uh, he's he's worked in trample wall for a long time. He does a lot of design for sets of trample wall now. But we we spent the day together, and he, at the end of it, he's like, "Well, uh, the rest is you." I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, I can't really teach you much more. It's like you just need to get more experience on it." So I was basically by myself for two months, 
in Montreal. You, you seem like you're good at training by yourself, or is that, or is that just what the internet makes it look like? Do you, are you good training alone, or do you need yes. somebody to be pushing you? I I kind of thrive on my own in my own little playground space. Um, I don't respond well to coaching a lot of the time. Um, I've had to learn to be better about that. Uh, so that was actually kind of ideal, but it still didn't prepare me at all for the show. Um, I, I did get a big vocabulary tricks when I was there and a lot of really dumb stuff. <laughs> um, but, but it didn't prepare me for the reality of going on stage and like the choreography of the show because they just didn't have anybody there at the That's time. That's like a hip-hop style show, right? Yeah. So uh, I do all this training and I arrive there um, and it's Ali Lemieux's last day. And my first day, I just learned the choreography like that day for the like ending choreography bit. So I'm like <laughs> shaking and, and so that was in France. Yeah, I did my first show. He did his last show. And then the next day was my birthday. And then we got on a bus for nine hours and went to Belgium. And then like that's when the real integration began. Um, and I remember Renal Laurent was our acting coach and he, he took the four new cast members for like just a little acting workshop and I was like so uncomfortable you know I mean now I know what theater exercises are but at the time I was like what why do I have to making noises and like what is this and and um he told me later that he was so frustrated with me. He was like, why is why can't he do this stuff? He's supposed to be like a professional artist. Where did he get this guy? <laughs> and and I told him at the end of that workshop, I was like, I, I think I understand what you're saying, but I think I need time. And he's like, oh, okay. And turned out like, oh, what's this guy's problem? And then I met, I met him years later. Yeah, because he was helping with the creation of Curious. And he's like, you know what? Do you remember what you said to me that day? <laughs> He's like, you needed time? He's like, you were right. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, thank God. How long were you with Alwaz for? For about three years. And where did you travel with that show? Everywhere. It was crazy. Um, so we would do stints in the U.S. We did Montreal. We would go back to France like every year. So there was one year we did like a five-month tour of France. Um, I remember going to the Grand Rex in Paris two times and uh Teatro Shayo one time uh we went to Singapore uh yeah we so many places and and kind of peppered out throughout Europe how did that transition into into curious was there a time between the two things or the one roll right into the other they rolled over pretty snug um so through ID uh, I was hired as a tramp specialist and started out pretty slowly because they didn't have any way of integrating. Because when you're in a theater, like all of your spare time is setting up or tearing down. So there was really, really few times where I could really get on the champ and kind of work with the team. So that took a long time so that I could get into the act. And then all throughout that time, I was still training chairs. And then when Richie left the show, I took over on chairs, took over more responsibility in the champ act. Um, and by the end of it, I was doing a character role and a lot of acrobatics and the jump rope act. Did you see the show? Uh, only video. Okay. Yeah, so by the end of it, like when we did our Japan tour, I was doing way too much. <laughs> and there was a decision that was like, I love the show. I've learned so much from the show, but I think it's going to kill me. So I'm going to step away from it slowly. And I've been in touch with uh, Marceline Goldstein, who was casting in Cirque du Soleil at the time. And... Um, so she was always seeing my updates because I was always practicing something, learning something new. And um, so I just, so my contract had ended, I had extended it to do Dubai. And I got a call in between that from Marceline. And she was like, are you interested in doing a creation? I was like, yeah. Well, what is it? She's like, well, it's like, uh, it's like a net trampoline um water world i was like stop talking i want to do it <laughs> like if casting has that much trouble explaining what this is going to be i need to be there so when you got there how much of uh the act the net act you're doing now what what version was it in existence when you arrived they had done one workshop on it um so the, the equipment had already been built yes so they had made this prototype net 
they'd done a week of workshopping on it. They're like, okay, we have an idea. And they built a second version of it. So day one, day one of training, one guy gets on the net, jumps around. Like, okay, you go up, I go up in the net, jump around. They're like, okay, guys, wait for a second. We're going to put more tension on the net. And the whole thing breaks. <gasps> While you're on it? No. No. I got enough. But the whole back of the net, that whole ridge rope, which is like an inch and a quarter thick, snapped <gasps> in half. And it's oh like sense of terror right through the middle of the net. And like, <gasps> so how, for somebody who hasn't seen it, which I, please, I, I, I really <laughs> recommend that if you're listening to this podcast, you take a moment to go on our website or on YouTube and take a look at the, the clip or go see Curious if you're still in New York or look at this tour route, but go see a clip of this act. Um, it's basically it's this giant circular, I think it's circular or square, rectangular. rectangular net that they can not only raise and lower, but bounces you. Well, it seems like twice as high as even like an Olympic trampoline can even bounce you. That's about fair. Yeah. So it's a 30 by 40 foot net taken out to tension by four motors. So the base tension is about 10,000 pounds. And then by kipping, so like double bouncing, if you know, like on a backyard trampoline, we can achieve, I think, 40 feet of height over the stage. And you're not afraid, and yeah. you're afraid of heights. Every time. <laughs> so you just get so scared every time. It's like, oh my God, I'm so high. It, I manage it better now. Yeah. Um, so you see the thing rip. Are you like, oh, I don't know about doing this? Or are you like, oh, that was hilarious? Uh, it just, just like the hilarious irony of it being the first day and like, well, welcome to Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> this is your job. <laughs> so uh, the the group, we, they, they even brought us in a week early because this act was such a big question mark for them. Like, it's never been done. We don't know what it's going to look like. We should give ourselves as much time as possible. You say a week early, but how long was the creation process in total? Nine months. <laughs> so, Nine months. So we were there in September, and it premiered in April 2014. Um, so yeah, that first week was wasted, and we just had time to jump on the trampoline kind of for the team to get to know each other, uh, which was really cool, too, because our team is this hodgepodge of... Uh, different types of acrobats with different backgrounds. So there's two competition trampolinists, a couple gymnasts. Um, one guy had done that giant flying act in Zaya with the cradles and the... It's impossible to explain without seeing. Um, and I have my background in trample wall and uh, trapeze. So they just crammed us all together. And it's really cool because everybody came from different countries and there are all these different acrobatic backgrounds as well as... Um, language backgrounds, we all had to come together over that. How many people are in the act? Um, on its best day, eight. On its weakest, five. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so the sweet spot, seven. Can you talk about what the experimentation process was like? Like learning that, like you say, the kip of double balance, what you need to do that, and sort of how you went from going, here's a piece of equipment that's making an act, to we have an act. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Circus Light Creation, you have your director who has an acrobatic designer who then has to have um, what they call conceptors, like the idea people. This is an actual job. There's people who run around coming up with dumb ideas. And then they delegate to um, an acrobatic choreographer who talks to the coach, who talks to you. So there's this whole hierarchy in place where they kind of feed the ideas down and then you have to make feedback and send its way back up. It's a really obnoxious process because I feel like the artists are at the bottom of it and you're not trusted mm. in a certain way. Like like these people's opinions are more important than yours. Mm. At or it a has certain to go level. up through that filter. Yeah, it has to go up and down. So that process can be a little slow. Um, but that being said, there, there still are really really brilliant people in that chain who come up with great ideas and they send them down and you're like wow this is gonna work this is gonna be something so we just kind of would get up there some days and have nothing good come out of it we would get up there and like jump around to kind of do the same old and like not have any good ideas and other days we would stumble upon something or somebody would do something and be like wait do that again change that make that a little bit um and but that's the the good thing about having so much time. Yeah, so, nine yeah. months, man. How it's how long. many how long can you train that like just in, in in like a once in like one sitting before you guys sort of are all like would be we gotta take a break. It depends on what we were working on, um, but there were 
there were days where we would do an hour and be toast and some days where we'd be there for like two or more hours um working on finer finer details mm-hmm. so at one point you guys get raised raised up risen up raised up raised up, yeah. raised up by clouds mm-hmm. with like hand loops on them which doesn't make you guys are fish flying fish and then you have clouds bringing you up <laughs> it's all part of the um, I was, the rain system, you know, what's it called? Um, precipitation. Oh, yeah, that's the oh, yeah, rain cycle. Well, when we I saw it in Montreal, me. like, I guess two years ago or three yeah. years ago, I was like, oh, I must have remembered that wrong. They must be birds or something. Oh, the original ones, they look like sheep. They were yeah, made of this, like, cotton, like, oh, so ugly. Yeah, I didn't know what you were. I was like, oh, were they birds? What were they? That. Yeah. And then when I saw it again, just yeah, recently. Yeah, more cartoony looking. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I guess they're fish, but they're, <laughs> they're being but they're raised up by clouds. clouds. It, don't ask too many And then questions. you come in with, <laughs> like, rain jackets and rain hats. Yeah. I was like, okay. But so, well, how did that come about? Was that, like, an idea from the beginning? Or was it something you guys realized, like, oh, if we get raised up, that we can, like, drop? I think Michel's original idea was that he wanted to have this net and the idea is that, you know, the net is a tool of fishing. So he would have fishermen on the net and he would have fish on the net. Um, And so I think one of the original ideas was to have three fishermen and three fish and they would kind of like come together and the fact that this net is actually really fun. They don't have to eat each other. Um, And that slowly filtered out to just being fish. like, Michelle wrote a 30-page script for this show, and 30 pages for a, you know, a Cirque du Soleil show. It seems a little excessive. So a lot of the show was made with these narrative ideas and themes that just, you know, just got chopped when yeah. it wasn't interesting anymore. Um Something, something about it still clubs. makes sense. That's the yes. thing. Like, there's some core root of that whole show, and even just the act as a piece, where you don't really question it. You're like, yeah, of course they're in yellow, yellow outfits. And of course I don't think that yeah. they're having these fish costumes. That totally makes, that totally works. And I think being there for that whole evolution, it gives you, as an actor, like fodder to work on. Because you know, like, oh, he, he talked about this idea and you have this idea in your head. And then I, I forget that it doesn't make any sense now. Because mm-hmm. I'm still, right. like, remembering what that character was doing, you know, six months ago. And I know three years ago now. <laughs> So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about um, that I think you're really good at and a few people are really good at, but it's more and more important these days, is uh, posting your tricks and being on social media. Um, I think that's the way most people get booked for work now is just being being, uh, being, uh, regularly out there where people can just see your video by chance on their Facebook feed or on YouTube. Um, Can you talk a little bit about, about... about that and about sort of like your your internet presence whether or not it's on purpose or it's just something you've been doing or sort of what that is like uh it's totally on purpose um uh, i don't really have any strategy for it but it's kind of like uh there's this really great jacques Cousteau quote like if if anyone has uh the chance to lead an extraordinary life they have no right to keep it to themselves so that oh i love that i know beautiful yes um and in one sense, it can be really like, like a, re- a reason for a narcissist to be a narcissist. But <laughs> but it can also mean like it, if you if you keep enough perspective to think like, oh, I'm doing cool stuff and I need to share this because like it's it's not serving anybody any good being on its own. Um, so if if I'm working on something and I'm I'm really pleased with it, then I think I should share it with other people. So so you've also been working on lasso and rope, right? Among and, many other things, yeah, yeah, those yeah. are two I've, I've seen on your on your Instagram feed that I have not yet seen, you know, in person. Um, but one of the things that I think I know we didn't really spend too much time on the social media, and we'll come back to it. But is this this uh, sort of root thing that seems pretty clear in your life of the enjoyment of practicing and the enjoyment of like learning skills being its own its own sort of thing, even aside from the the pleasure of performing. And I'm wondering if you talk about how you how you keep it interesting and how uh, sort of what what techniques and things you found have worked really well for you as far as like learning new tricks and sort of how you how you think about that. I think a lot about this. Um, the best way to learn things faster is to learn more things um, because you the more you learn, the more different things you learn, the better you have a, a strategy of learning when you approach something new. 
so that when you get there, you know how to kind of filter out unnecessary information, focus on what's important, and then kind of step up quicker. Um, but the other side of that is it has to be fun, because if it's not fun, then it's not worth pursuing. So you you kind of have to fool yourself that into thinking that something is really worthwhile, and then yeah, find the things that make you happy in doing it. So like lasso for one, or trick roping if I want to be proper, um, <laughs> is just incredibly difficult. And I don't know at the time, and, and nobody does it. You know, there's like maybe five people <laughs> who yeah. are really performing with it regularly. And it's it just the rarity of it and the difficulty of it was like, oh, this is, this is cool. And I want to preserve this because, you know, in the 20s, um, Will Rogers was like the biggest star in America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When people had horses, it was way more, right. more, more common. <laughs> well, if they turn Westworld into a circus, ah, you have your starring world. There's an idea for a show. <laughs> oh my God, if they turn uh, Westworld into... Yeah, hide, don't, no one steal that. <laughs> That's our highway. Hi, Westworld. Uh, J.J. Abrams, we'd like to make a circus show out of your show. Uh, I think it's John Nolan. Yeah. No, but it's J. Christopher J. Nolan's brother, or is it both of them? Well, it's J.J. Abrams... Jonathan and Nolan. It's who, Jonathan Nolan, not Christopher Nolan. I think they're related. I think they're brothers. Yeah, but it's... Okay. I've never, <laughs> never seen mind. the show. Oh, my God. Oh, you have to watch it. I know. It's, I a, know, it's I like know. a Wild we'll West sci-fi show. Um, but <laughs> yeah. now, now we've gotten off track. Um, so, so when you're sort of like fooling yourself, I mean, what what happens when you're like, where like where is this going? Or like, you must have these like moments of real frustration or do you sort of just push through it? Um, well, no, I, I don't... For... Again, with trick roping, it's like I don't really have a goal, like or like set date where I'm gonna do a number. It's just like I'm just doing these tricks because I've spent a lot of time on them, and maybe one day it'll turn into a thing. And same way with juggling, same way with rope. Like I, I, I don't have any specific idea of when or where I'm gonna perform these things. But I enjoy working on them. So, yeah. I mean, it's good to have them in the pocket. And then the more you can expand your repertoire as an artist, the more adaptable you are. Mm-hmm. So, like, if... And I really want to do another show with a small company like Seven Fingers where you're tapped, all your little skills are tapped and, and exploited. Yeah. Um, it's like, Jordan, we're like, what else can you do? Yeah. <laughs> and can you do them within the span of 10 minutes? We made him do two acts and... The- Less than ten minutes. Yeah, two nice. four and a half minute action back. And like, and you can dance, right? And act. His mom was like, "It's so nice seeing Jorn act and dance." I'm like, okay, it's awesome. my favorite part and too. Jorn's dance in air quotes. Yeah, dance. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think that that's a real thing that you know when we think about hiring someone, people who have more skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in these smaller shows, like you don't have the budget to hire a lot of people, so the more people that you can hire that have more skills, the more desirable you are. Yeah, I think. And I, in in the the new circus market, like uh, that's the reality. Is there's more smaller contemporary companies yeah. that need people with these kind of skill sets. So, I mean, yeah, being really great at an act is great, but being pretty good at an act and really good at, at doing lots of things I think is even better and yeah. more valuable. And people so, about stage time. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed just in the two years of you doing it is just how much further you've come in like the performance element of, yes. your, yeah. of your character. Especially at the beginning of the show when you come out in a little like with the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. And I've like the a lot hair of time to analyze like... it and think about it. Um, yeah, and that's that's the the luxury of, of having the chance to do a show nine hundred times. Yeah. Oh my god. Nine hundred times. Nine hundred fifty. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. Could you maybe walk through like what a day a day on tour is like, like when you wake up to when you when you go to sleep? Okay. So, uh, let's say Tuesday, like yesterday, for example, is the first day of the week, so I have to come in a little bit early for net rehearsal. So net rehearsal is the one the that that's the one net rehearsal we we'll get for the whole week usually. Um, because it's pretty labor intensive to set it up and to run it because you need riggers and you need stage management to talk to automation because all the motors are automated, all the clouds and ladder are automated. Um, so it does take a pretty big team of people who are paid hourly. So, right, so, right. so you really try to limit that as well. It, stage time is super valuable, so we can't occupy the entire stage all the time. So we get that one and then 
Um, usually after that, we'll have maybe a couple other rehearsals depending on the needs of the show that week. Uh, we've had a couple injuries, unfortunately, this week, so we've had to cover some ground. Um, and then show call for the show is always one hour before showtime. And that's usually when I put in my headphones to do a podcast and do my makeup, <laughs> which I, I always tell people takes an hour, but it's actually me sitting down an hour before show, dicking around on my phone for 50 minutes, <laughs> and then going, oh, shit, and then having to start my makeup and do it in a rush. <laughs> so it turns out really nice. But how do they teach you to do your makeup? Because when I watched oh. your like little like fast-forward video of your mm-hmm. makeup, I was like, I love doing makeup, and I don't know if I could do it that perfectly every time. Well, 900 times. <laughs> yeah, you're like, I got this. Um, they, so the designer draws every step on your face and takes a photo of each step. Oh. So then they give that file to a coach, who will do half of your face and you do the other half step by step so you end up looking like this <laughs> and then you have to keep going back for sessions until they sign off on you so some people have to go back for five six sessions if they're really really bad at it i did it in like three yeah <laughs> um now you can work at mac i, I guess i can do that <laughs> one look on anybody <laughs> you all look like a curious character yeah. i got you those anything are, else smoky con- eyes no. contours on the cheeks <laughs> and the forehead um, yeah oh wow that's crazy. So it takes you about an hour to get ready for show. Yeah. And then you do the show, and afterwards, do you do like a cool down? Do you have... What's really cool about this show is that it has its own warm-up built into it. So that first act, you know, I, I walk around the crowd, get a little warm. Then do the first act is a lot of dancing and running. Mm-hmm. And then, depending on the day, I'll have cues. Like, I'll be inside the Invisible Circus or sometimes in the background. Oh, you're in that thing? Yeah. Oh my gosh, so you're I in do that both little sides. thingy? Whoa, I know just it's like literally in the bottom inside of it? And out. Yeah, so there's two of us on like mechanic dollies and we're pulling strings and moving magnets. Oh my, I was wondering how that happened. Yeah, worked. in creation, one of the physios is like, are you claustrophobic? <laughs> no, why? Oh, I don't know. They just asked me to ask you and I ended up five hours a week under there like working on the freaking puppets. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's really cool. So yeah, when I get to back up the clown, then I, then I'm on the outside. Oh, you back? Oh, right. You back up the clown and you back up the chair. Yes, right. So I'm not the main chair balancer, but I came in. I was like, oh, you know, I used to do this. They're like, great, you can be the backup. So I was one. I think that was the second backup train. The first one because he occupies so much space in the show was the comic. Mm. So um, I. Again, remember, I had no experience in acting, but I just become buds with uh, David Alexander, the original clown, and he was like, ah, I think you'd be a good backup. I'm like, uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he believed in me and uh, coached me how to do the act. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, I never, ever, ever in a million years thought I would be doing clowning <laughs> for Cirque du Soleil right. in French, because the first time I did it was in Quebec City. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, because they wanted to get that backup done quickly, so if anything happened, they would have you know, that big chunk of the show covered. Um, and it was our last week in Quebec, and it was the last French-speaking city, and they're like, oh, well, you've been training it all this time. You better get it in now. So, yeah, I had to do that whole thing in French. Is <laughs> it just terrifying? Not really. Uh, like I, I speak French fairly fluently after Cirque was. There was mm-hmm. a point like in our five months France tour where all the English speakers left except for me. They're so like, oh, we're f- we feel more comfortable in French. Is that okay with you? I'm like, <laughs> okay. Here we go. Go. Yeah. So it was like a really cool full immersion, all the emails and meetings we did in French. There was always somebody next to me who, everybody's bilingual, but more comfortable in French. So I was able to lean over and be like, oh, what does that mean? Um, so yeah, I'm comfortable in French, but even still, it's like I had to I had to speak lines right. on a stage for people and pronounce it right. <laughs> it was it was a lot of pressure, but yeah, it's that's been a really cool journey too. Like having to learn the skill of acting and being funny. Being funny is terrifying. Right, I think it's the hardest thing to do. It's so scary. Yeah, you're so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Says the dude 40 feet above the trampoline. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's just nothing. Funny <laughs> that's it. Oh my god. It's absolutely um, nothing. So how long do you want to stay with Curious? Oh man, I don't know. That's such a big question. And I've already signed for 2017. So we're going to stay in the States and Canada. We're going to go to Dallas, Houston, Edmonton, Winnipeg, 
Portland, Vancouver. We have a huge audience in Winnipeg. Really? So. <laughs> <laughs> People keep telling me that Winnipeg's cool. I'm like, I'll believe it when I see it. It's <laughs> a cool name. It's uh, really cool. Neil Young's Vancouver, from there. I love. Oh, there you go. Have you yeah. been to Vancouver? I've uh, passed through it. I've been oh to God. the airport. I've been to Whistler. Whistler. Okay. Yeah. So You'll like Vancouver. We're going to have a long time there. So, as you know from being a listener of the podcast, we usually end with the same few few questions. And you did already give one great piece of advice, but I'm going to see if there's another piece of advice that you've gotten or received or heard that you thought was either really good or really bad that has stuck with you. There's this YouTube video of this guy. He's like 75 and he like does all these things like he's slacklining or like balancing on rollabola or riding crazy skateboards around. And his whole philosophy is never leave the playground. And I think that's such a great thing it's just to remember all the time, like to approach things with a spirit of play. Yeah. And so what he's doing is trying to get older people to move and to connect with your body and um, keep balance because then there's going to be less falling and breaking hips in older age. Because this dude is old and very, very sprightly. And unlovable. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, and you can apply that artistically to your life. Um, I mean, look at my shirt. I love <laughs> it. Never grow up. Yeah. Um, I think a spirit of play is super important to being an artist. Was there a show, a circus show, or you would recommend that lived an impact with you in particular? A show that really, really marked me was um, Circus Records Inside Out. Great show. I saw it, bam. Um, because that was probably the first time that I saw a contemporary circus outside of Cirque du Soleil that, that really challenged my ideas of what circus performance was. And like Jay Gilligan, the drummer. <laughs> the show's awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. Other than that, Really, anything Company Danetton does, or oh, Company X Fly. You ever see that? Yeah, super cool. Their guy. You should have that guy on the podcast. Yeah, I that you printed that question. So who's, who's, the, who's their guy? Um, I can't remember his name, but their their leader. He has such an interesting approach on on the creative process, and that it's like not directed, but kind of group self generated. Yeah. Kind of which seems so impossible, but you watch the show and it's it's so beautifully and organized and like how does it how does a group of twenty people do that? Yeah. So that's really cool. Um, other people on the podcast though. You should have Mark Mitten. Um, so I saw Mark the other day <laughs> and I I am still just pushing Mark to do it, but I think and I just realized this, is that Mark, Mark Mitten, for those who don't know, is I would say maybe one of the best magicians in the world, certainly in New York City. Yeah, he blew my mind. I finally saw him do magic because I've known him now for three years and he's never done magic in front of me. And I'm like, please, Mark, do something, do something. And then we were at the Big Apple Christmas party last, rest in peace, Big Apple, uh, last year. Yeah. And he finally was doing up-close magic and I was part of the trick. And I was like, oh my God, Mark, you're incredible. I realized that, uh, I'm talking to him, that magic has such an intense culture of Secrecy, right? That Mark, I mean, I'm still gonna really try my best to get him on. Seems seems nervous uh, about what he is and is not allowed to. Yeah, like uh, Mark, you have to come to the say party. as yeah, far yeah, as yeah. like even just learning how you learn things. I was like, wow, yeah, the magic community is very. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, don't do podcasts, it seems. Right. But uh, <laughs> you know, with enough jostling, I think we'll get him on. And, and because he's he really cares about circus. Yeah. Yes. And so I think if anything, you can get him to relate what he does to the circus world and like maybe what the parallels are there without yes. betraying too much of the, yeah. of the magic world. Like, Mark, tell me all our tricks. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, so how do you do that Let's break it down. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming. Wait, I have one more oh, question. Whoa. Whoa, 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 how long have you been growing your hair? Oh man. Um, it, I'm jealous of it. It was like 2012 and um, I, oh, so my history of haircuts with Circa was I first got there and I, I got this like Euro mullet. It was like <laughs> kind of like spiky on the top and like kind of like pointy along in the back. It was disgusting. They made you do that or you did that on your own? No, I like went to a hairdresser and they oh, were like, no. they, they gave her some parameters and she did like took license with it. And I was like, this is awful. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I kind of would like, I have really bad anxiety about cutting my hair. So like I would let it grow and then like really be scared about getting it cut. So at one point it was getting pretty long and the director was like, it looks pretty good. Keep it. So I kept it. And then I got to Curios and our, 
head of wardrobe was like, I love your hair. I never cut it. So... Like, great. Yeah, How long is it now? No, yes. Uh, I've like trimmed it a couple times. Yeah. But it goes down to where, like, it's, uh, I don't know. Cause I, mine, I feel like it bottoms out. Can all the listeners hear him shaking out his hair? Oh my God. <laughs> it is a beautiful mane of hair. It is beautiful. <laughs> oh, stop Dang. it. <laughs> I literally am trying to get my hair past my boobs. And it hasn't. It never gets there. And now Ryan just took his hair down, and it's like the mermaid hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you belong on a rock in the ocean. <laughs> yeah, instead of a fish, you could be a mermaid. Oh, world. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, Ryan. It's it's really cool that this exists because you know, like when I was starting out, a resource like this would have been so huge. So like that you're making it really makes me happy. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks so much for doing it. I know. I really appreciate it's, it. It's fun for us. That was our interview with Ryan Shinji Murray. We're going to be in Israel for the next week, visiting Josh's family over Thanksgiving. So unfortunately, we will not have a podcast next week. But if you've missed any podcasts... Yeah, just go through our backlog. That's now is your chance. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you guys have a great holiday. And Happy Thanksgiving. See you or <laughs> talk to you next in two weeks. Bye. Bye.